those of you that know me will know that I'm a big fan of a certain science fiction brand. Those of you that don't know me might not know this so much. Can I, does anyone know which one it is? No? Oh, oh, oh. Star Trek, that's it. I, I am a full-blown Trekkie, I'm a full-blown nerd, and I'm quite proud about this fact. What? What? It's not real. How do you know? It's set in the future. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so, so I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I love the cheesiness of it, but I love the moral stories that come with the show. And about, and about 10 years ago now, probably maybe a bit more, there was this big announcement by um, Paramount Movies that they were going to make new Star Trek movies with J.J. Abrams as the director, and they were going to make it cool, and they were going to make it fun, and I was like, you know what, and this is, um, this is quite shocking to us Star Trek fans, because we're like, Star Trek isn't actually supposed to be that cool, you know, it's actually, it's pretty geeky, and we like being geeks. This was William Shatner's response to the news, by the way, so, um, and that's what pretty much all of us were like at the time. But my point, that's why I want to talk about this, my point is that, you know, there's, there's a strive to make things relevant to do with modern culture. And I think that's found its way into the church as well. We have this thing that we have to be relevant. We have to move with the times. We have to do things to appeal. And, you know, that's not wrong, but there's ways that we have to do it. I think there's ways that we do it. So, what does it mean to be relevant? Sorry, Bill, you're off. Oh, no, sorry. I've skipped my own notes already. No, that's not good. So, who remembers when Malcolm was here two, like two weeks ago? Yep, everyone was here, and you remember this story he told about the bridge in Honduras, and how like um, the bridge is no longer relevant because the river's moved. And uh, I, I did a bit of research into this, and I think something like hundreds of thousands of churches have used this picture at some point. It's like it's obviously quite a co quite a uh, common theme. And um, so uh, I'm just thinking, like, what does it mean? What does this word relevance mean? What does it mean to be relevant in the church? So this is the dictionary definition of the word relevant. Appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances of contemporary interest. So we, we can look at this and be like, okay, so we need to be exactly like the modern culture is to appeal to people. And you can get that from that definition, definitely. I'm just going to play a little video. I love this video. I found it a few years ago. And um, hopefully it will work. As I said, I'm not very tech savvy. So I should point out, that was done by a church in America. They are actually, it's not people taking the mickey out of a church. They're having a bit of a laugh at themselves about how structured they do their services and all that sort of thing. So before I get into my uh, message, I think it's important for me just to say quickly that what I'm about to say isn't a pop at anyone who used to be part of this church, because uh, it may well, you know, it's quite easy to, potentially for this to be perceived as that, and that isn't my intention at all. I'm just thinking this thing about what we, what we do to be relevant. So what I think the view is in, in some parts of the modern church is that if we make church cool, then... Um, it will bring the people in. Um, so we have 
modern style worship. We have a good light show. We got fog machines. We have people have drinking a really nice coffee. All this stuff, stuff that you can do pretty much anywhere. You don't need to come to church to do this. But but the danger with that is that that can become the focus of the church, and this is where it gets a bit tricky. Um, it all becomes about the Sunday performance. Um, I went to a conference once, and I'm a I'm not going to name any names here, but at some point, the the guy who's quite high up in the movement of this this um, this church was uh, preaching, and he was just saying about how you know it's all about entertaining the people. Sunday mornings have got to be entertaining. Uh, everything's got to be spot on, sort of thing. I was like, mm, don't really agree with that, but okay. Um, and it's like, yeah, you've got to have the best music, you've got to have the best speakers, everything's got to run smoothly. And I was just thinking to myself, I was like, well, what does the Bible say that the church needs to grow and to build? And, oh, oh. see, I told you once videos got involved in this, it was going to be a disaster, but here we go. The fivefold ministry found in Ephesians chapter 4. You need apostles, you need prophets, you need evangelists, you need pastors, and you need teachers. Um, there's one thing, one role in the church that we put quite a lot of emphasis on that isn't in this list. Can anyone spot what it is? No? Hmm? Worship leader. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying worship leaders aren't important, Mike. But I'm saying it's a role we've elevated in the last probably 20 years or so to give it almost more importance than what it actually is. Um, you know, for 2,000 years, worship's been led by the someone as part of the congregation. So, and also about when you talk about best speakers as well, um, if you read the book of Acts, there's this moment where Paul, the great evangelist, Paul, the guy who wrote the New Testament, was speaking for so long that someone fell asleep, fell out a window and died. You, you know, you see where I'm going with that? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have these things in church. I'm not saying it's wrong to have good worship. Of course, it's great to have good worship. I'm not saying it's wrong to have the best speakers. It's great that we hear from the good speakers. I'm not saying it's wrong that we have trendy graphics and all this sort of stuff. It's good stuff to have. But the focus of the church and its quest to be relevant can't be about just what happens on a Sunday morning. And some of you are probably thinking, well, look at Hillsong. Look at Hillsong. Um, spectacular worship, everything's done really well there. And there's no doubt, God has abundantly blessed Hillsong with good musicians and creative people. But what people don't always think about with Hillsong is the fact that through a charity called Compassion, they've saved something like 100,000 children and taken them out of poverty in third world countries and given them an education, given them skills and given them the opportunities to have a, a full life, which they wouldn't have had before. Um, every weekend they take vans around London and feed the homeless you know um, the, through their sisterhood the, the women's ministry run by Bobby Houston they work with victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking but then we say well, we always sometimes think is, oh, they're, they're really successful because of the music and like, the music's great don't get me wrong I love it and I'm sure some people have been saved by listening to Hillsong music I really believe that but then we think oh, maybe if we do what Hillsong do, that's when we'll get the people in. 
And then what we do is we focus on the graphics and the music and the preaching, but we don't focus on the fact that they've taken 100,000 people out of poverty. And we don't focus on the fact that they're helping um, with sex trafficking and feeding the homeless and stuff like that. So it's page one done. I've got about another eight to go. So a recent survey in America says that 8% of millennial Americans, I don't even know what a millennial is, is that someone who turned 18 at the turn of the millennium? Is that right? Someone? Was it someone born at that time? Born after 2000, right, okay. So 8% of those in America who are surveyed in this don't go to church because it's out of date. Right? So they see all the, so that means 92% of these, this generation see all the cool stuff and still don't go to church. So there's another reason why these people are not going. In the same survey, it said that 85% of these people see Christians as judgmental. You know, there's a bigger problem here, which isn't just going to be solved with good music. Uh, someone who comes to this church had a, a friend visit last summer at some point, I can't remember when, and, and this person is an atheist. And their response to coming to church was just like, you know, you're, it's no different to the, mu the music's no different to what I hear on the radio. You know, I, I come to church and expect something different. I expect the church to be the church, sort of thing, if that makes sense. You know, there's more to it than just being what the world sees. We don't want to replicate what the world is doing. So if you think of it like this way, someone who comes into church who's struggling with their faith, someone who um, visits a, doesn't want to come to church because they've seen the way that the church is with, uh, with gay and lesbian people, with that community or other communities, and they think they're just judgmental, are they going to be convinced otherwise by some funky music, someone wearing skinny jeans, and someone giving them a good latte? I think the answer is no. Oh, it's gone off. So when Jesus and Paul talk about the church in the New Testament, they're not talking about buildings, they're not talking about programs, they're not talking about worship in the sense of the music that we play, they're talking about people. The church is always about people. And if the church is to be relevant to the world, it will be the people that make it relevant. Not the buildings, not who, we, who our apostolic people are and all that sort of stuff. It's about what the people do, what the people of God carry is what will make the church relevant in this modern world. So how do we do it? How do we become relevant in this modern world? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to know Jesus. Like, truly know Jesus. We have to have a good prayer life with him. We have to spend time every day with Jesus. Second of all, in the book of James, it says, um, don't just be a listener of the word, be a doer of the word. Well, you can't be a doer of the word if you don't know what the word is. Simply. So you need to be reading your Bible. You need to spend time all the time reading your Bible. It's so important. If you want to know Jesus more, read his word. If you wanted to know any sort of celebrity more and they had an autobiography out, you would read it to get to know that person more. The Bible is Jesus' word. Um, 
Um, I mean, I'm all for like good podcasts and good books and stuff, but these are always only someone else's opinion on Jesus. If you really want to know Jesus, read the Bible. Secondly, we must be hungry for Jesus. We've got to make Jesus the priority in our life. More than, I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone or anything like that, but more than what we do, more than our social life, more than um, even more than our family life, more than our work, everything. Jesus has got to be the number one priority in our life. I'm going to steal something that Linda said in the staff meeting on Tuesday now. So um, one of the songs we sing is uh, Zeal. Um, it's quite a fast-paced one. We sing it occasionally. We sung it last week, the week before. Yeah. So, yeah, come here, come here, come here. Amber, come here, come here, come here. You just said the exact line I wanted you to say. Come on. What was it? Zeal. Completely consumes me. I can't get enough, can't get enough for you. There we go. Yep, that's it. So that line, my zeal for you, as in my zeal for you, God, completely consumes me. So how many of us can say that our zeal for God all the time completely consumes us? All the time. Are we lying when we sing that song? Just a thought. Here in the West, we have it easy when it goes to going to when it comes to going to church. You know, it's almost like, you know, if I haven't got, any, I might go to church on Sunday, but I might, you know, have a day off, or I might go and see family, or I might go and watch sport, or I might go shopping, or I might blah blah blah. And I might blah blah blah. I'm not saying these things aren't important; they are important. But it's two hours of the week church on a Sunday morning and it should be when you do your schedule for the week the very first thing you should mark on there the non-negotiable on that list is coming to church on a Sunday morning absolutely um, but the, as I said like we have it easy in the West and therefore our faith can get a bit lazy these things can creep in and we're like oh I'm not going to do that this week I I'm not going to go to a life group. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to do this stuff because I'm too tired from work. Or I've got all this stuff on. No, we need to be prioritizing our life, with, like our walk with Jesus. Because if we're not doing it and we're not on fire for Jesus, that world out there is never going to catch that fire. And the responsibility is with us. Um, with that thought in mind, I've been reading. A, I read a book recently by a guy, a guy named David Platt. He's a, a mega church pastor in America. He made the news uh, like last year or so when Donald Trump randomly turned up and he got him on stage and prayed for him. Because we are, as much as I don't like Donald Trump, we are called to pray for our governments and our leaders. So, <clears throat> but he also spends a lot of time going to and from China and comparing the church in China to the church in America. It's a really interesting book. If anyone wants to borrow it off me, then just give me a shout. I got it off Phil, so I need to give it back to Phil at some point. But, yeah. It, it, it can do the rounds first, and then, like, yeah. So I'm just going to show you a clip. This is from a documentary movie called Finger of God that was done about 15 years ago. This is just about... I don't know why a second video cuts in there like that. It's a bit like, but 
I just want to think about that. Did you see those people's faces when they were worshipping? You see the tears running down their face. You see the joy at some points as well. And it's just like 4.30 in the morning every day. A thousand people got saved at one meeting. That's Book of Acts stuff right there, you know? It's such a different world. And the thing is, yeah, the circumstances are different. Christianity is illegal in China in that sort of format. There's a government-approved version, which they basically write their own Bible with it and stuff. But, and it's just like, why do we not have that hunger here? Just because Christianity is legal in this country doesn't mean that we shouldn't be just as joyful and just as so pleased to be in the presence of the Lord, you know? And thirdly, the other thing we have to do, if we have to be completely surrendered to Jesus' will, completely surrendered, 100% everything. Because when we do, we'll do the stuff that Jesus wants us to do. And what is that stuff that Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to take care of the poor. And there are poor people in this country. You know, it sounds quite obvious, but there really are. He wants us to welcome those who have been marginalized by society for whatever reason. He wants us to look after the widows. He wants us to look after the orphans. This is a big one at the minute. He wants us to welcome the refugee. Yeah. Donald Trump wants to build his wall and Brexit and whatever you think of that. There are scaremongering there about refugees. No, we're supposed to welcome them. Open arms. We're supposed to feed the hungry and the homeless. We're not supposed to condemn people. There's a very famous story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And the tax collectors, if you don't know, were the worst of the worst in Jewish culture in the, at this time in that they were taking money from their fellow man and giving it to the Romans and making their own money off the back of it. And when Jesus comes into town, Zacchaeus, who was the head tax collector, went and hit up a tree just so he could see Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He calls him down from the tree, not to condemn him, but to say to him, I'm going to come and eat in your house. And Zacchaeus is completely transformed by that meeting with Jesus. We're not called to throw stones at people who lose different lives to what we live. We're supposed to be inviting them in. And of course, the last thing Jesus instructs us to do is to be bold witnesses for him. So our lives have to be witnesses for Jesus. We have to be doing this stuff so that we can be those bold witnesses for Jesus. And the people out there are like, well, there is something different about these people, and I want to know what it is. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the church becomes relevant in the 21st century in Wales, by doing the stuff that Jesus told us to do, the very stuff he, that we've been doing for 2,000 years. We don't need fancy worship. We don't need fog machines. We don't need people, whatever. Um, we just need to be doing, we need the church to be the church. I'm just going to finish on this little challenge I thought of a few years ago, back when we were in Hertfordshire. And it was simply this. If a church shut, if a church closed down, 
would the community notice? That's a challenge, I think, for every church. Because if the community out there doesn't notice that a church shut, then that church hasn't been doing its job properly. I'm very proud of the fact that our coffee shop brings mums in from the estate who don't come to church. It's a start. It's something. So, yeah. I'm going to finish there and hope I've given you food for thought. Thank you very much.